Hello, critical thinkers. Welcome to this new episode of, well, technically this one isn't the Healthy and Awake podcast because this episode, uh, I was the guest on my friend's podcast, Laura Timbrook. She's a fellow board certified health coach. Uh, if you've been following the show, you might recall that there was another episode, an earlier episode, where I talked about persuasive marketing and influence and corporate propaganda and all that good stuff. And same thing, uh, that's where I was a guest on her show. So this one today is on cold exposure and it turned out so good. There's really something about like Laura just really gets it. She's really uh, a cool person to talk to. And I really enjoy the conversational aspect of, you know, getting this sort of information out there as opposed to some of the episodes where, I mean, it's just me talking into a microphone. Uh, so with that in mind, I think you're really going to find this one more engaging, uh, maybe even more entertaining, and at the very least, more informative, because uh, there's a lot of cool stuff around the topic of cold exposure that uh, maybe you haven't heard before. And this is something that I've been doing for years, a very long time. And as torturous as it can be, it's something that I've grown to enjoy. Uh, but without further ado, let's get right into it. Here is Laura Timbrook's episode. Uh, her podcast is called The Shift Health Coach Podcast. Please check the show notes. Make sure to subscribe to her show. Uh, she puts some cool stuff out there. And yeah, here's the episode. Have you been hearing about all the hype about ice baths and cold therapy, cold exposure? Are you wondering if it's really worth freezing your ass off for these health benefits? Do you wonder how long you actually have to submit to the cold exposure to receive benefits? Well, in this episode, we're breaking down the science to see if cold therapy is something you would like to invest your time and comfort in. Today we have special guest with us, Mike Vera. Mike Vera is a national board certified health and wellness coach with a bachelor's degree in psychology from Temple University and a master's degree in exercise science and health promotion. With a concentration in sports psychology and performance enhancement, Mike has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the health and wellness field. In addition to his work as a health coach, Mike also serves as a research lab manager in cognitive psychology at Penn State University. Mike is also the owner of Red Pill Health and Wellness. Mike helps individuals wake up to better health by guiding them to tap into their untapped potential. Well, Mike, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. I'm really excited to kind of have this conversation with you regarding uh, cold exposure. You know, I think so much of us, we see about these ice baths and, you know, taking cold showers and things like that. And it's just, you know, does it work? Like, is it worth our time to get into a cold tub? I mean, some of these ice baths can get really expensive, but at the same time, you could just do a lot of the stuff I was reading about. You could just do it in, you know, the shower, turning your shower cold. So um, it'll be cool to kind of dig into this with you and some of your experience and stuff like that. So j thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Good to be here. So as we get started, let's talk a minute about cold exposure and what it is a little bit. You want to kind of take the reins on this one? Sure. Cold exposure is probably the biggest thing I get pushback on whenever I discuss this with potential clients or current clients. Um, it's like a type of exercise, really, because it's uncomfortable. 
you can adapt to the cold exposure. It's a type of eustress, just like exercise. And it's something that, although there is mixed research and a lot of research still needs to be done, like many things, uh, there are some clear physical and mental benefits. So it's a cool free tool that people can use to help enhance their health. Yeah. And I don't think we can really talk about cold exposure too much without talking about Wim Hof. Um, so Wim Hof, uh, for those of you listening that aren't familiar with him, he's an extreme cold athlete. He's run, I think it was like marathons, barefoot, in the snow. Now, I should preface this by saying he's from the Netherlands. So he's from a Nordic climate, but he's really conditioned himself to really handle and adapt to the cold. Well, we're going to talk about some research here that has actually been done on him and that he's actually been involved with with some kind of training. But he actually kind of does it in a few parts. He deals with the cold exposure. He deals with breathing. And, you know, he deals because he's an athlete in exercise. So it's it's really interesting when we start kind of um, involving that a little bit and where that kind of goes. So now, Mike, when you, I know you deal with a lot of your clients. How do you generally involve cold exposure with some of your clients? I always like to bring it up because most people, when you say like, what are some of the things you think of around a possible health routine? Everybody says diet and exercise or physical activity, proper nutrition. And so when we're brainstorming, if we want to get a little bit creative, uh, just throwing cold exposure out there gets, at the very least, some interesting reactions. Um, and even as a board-certified health coach, sometimes uh, one tactic we can use to push our clients a little bit is to sometimes throw out some extreme possible suggestions, and they might push back on that, like, ah, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but maybe I'm ready for this other thing. So even as like a psychological tool, it can kind of be used to push clients a little bit, even if they're not actually even going to take a cold shower. Uh, you know, that's I, actually a really good point. I didn't think of it like that because it's almost like, I hate to say car salesman, but like they put you in the nicest car and you're like, yeah, I totally can't afford that. And then all of a sudden they put you in the next level and you're like, well, hold on, maybe, maybe I can go back to that other car. Definitely. Definitely. It kind of takes advantage of that anchoring bias where you, you give them a fixated point to focus on, even if it's unrealistic. And then it gives you a little more wiggle room to motivate them in some other way. And this is especially useful for people who have maybe been stuck. If, if a client has been coming to you and uh, they really haven't been seeing much progress for whatever reason, this is kind of a tactic where you can push them a little bit more and throw something out like, hey, what have you thought about taking an ice bath every day? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, but maybe I'll I'll run in the morning or something like that. So it's it's a cool trick. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So I know you were doing some research. So what was some of the research that you kind of found out that was pretty cool and mind opening for you? Well, I love how you mentioned Wim Hof because it's such a unique routine that has some health benefits that is supported by research. So, of course, there are three components of the Wim Hof method. There's the breathing exercises. There's the physical exercise component of it. And then there's this um, meditative, uh, the, the cold exposure. So all three of those together make up the Wim Hof method. And all three of those components have benefits on their own that are supported by research. But he actually takes this a step further, was examined in multiple scientific settings. And one of them in particular, he said, look, 
my cold exposure, the, the reason I'm able to climb Mount Everest in my shorts, the reason I'm able to sit in a tub of ice for two hours in the middle of Times Square with no issues is because of the power of the mind. And I can prove this. I'm going to train other people to use their mind on the level that I can. We're actually going to have them inject themselves with endotoxin, a type of toxin, and with the power of the mind, we'll be able to shake it off with no issues. And that's exactly what he did. So you have in the scientific setting, two groups of people, the one group that was the control group, they actually got injected with something and they, they got sick. The other group, they got injected with something and they did the Wim Hof method and they shook it off with no issues just by using the power of the mind. And this is substantiated by the science. It's pretty cool. And it shows you that maybe some of these obstacles, if somebody feels held back or they're not accomplishing their goals, sometimes it's a mental roadblock because we can accomplish some pretty incredible things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up this because I always like to play devil's advocate a little bit. So I think this is going to be kind of cool um, when we kind of have this conversation. But it's really, first of all, that study was absolutely amazing. And I actually have it in the show notes. It's the 2014 Radbound University study. So if you go to the show notes, you'll actually see the study there. And I actually linked it to um, the actual study, not just the articles written. So you can kind of take a little bit of a closer look on it. And it was really amazing because like you said, here's this group that got sick and a group that didn't get sick. And they were using breathing techniques. And it was pretty cool because even when they did the cold exposure, I think it was two weeks prior. To this, where they were exposing them to the cold, they made them climb like uh, a mountain in swim shorts and things like that. So they were conditioned themselves a little bit. But I did take a little bit of a closer look, and there's a few things that kind of came up. But we got to remember this is like a first study, so we're just seeing if there's anything here. You know, we would almost call figure this out like a phase one study. Like, is there something here? And what they did, it was actually um, 30 under, they were 19 to 27-year-old men. So it was all male population. It was all young. They were all in good physical health. But it did show us that there was some control. And that's what was crazy because the thing that they were trying to measure was, is do we have control over our autonomic nervous system? Which for those of you listening, that's like what tells our heart to beat, our body to breathe. It just is automatic within our body. And it's actually showing that we actually have some control. Um, I think that was really cool in that study. Definitely. And I love uh, how you did this. This is very important to do when you're talking about a specific study. A good scientifically oriented person doesn't extrapolate too far outside of the actual study itself. And so, yes, this was a, a specific population. And so those implications are limited. But what's very cool about Wim Hof in particular is that there have been some other studies that do show where he took. Um, so let me actually first correct myself. I'm not exactly sure if there are studies on, on this. You can look on his website. There's some science. But I know he has taken groups of cancer patients, people with arthritis. He's taken some pretty sick people. And this is on video at the very least, where he's taken them to Mount Everest to, to climb uh, all in their shorts and uh, so that's pretty crazy. That's not a uh, what I'm referencing here is, is maybe not a scientific study, but it does show the power of the mind, um, how anybody can really, uh, you know, set their mind to something and accomplish it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we talk about something like that, we got to talk about the placebo effect, right? 
because so many scientific studies are done where they're using placebo pills because we know the power of the mind can be that crazy. It's unpredictable. We don't even know. And not only could it be used for, you know, good, it could actually hurt us. You know, it's like the placebo and I think it's called the nocebo or something like that. So, you know, it, it's really powerful when we realize how much our mind, our belief system can control our physical body. Yeah, for real. And and with the autonomic nervous system, just like you said, this is it's in the name autonomic. It's supposed to be automatic. What a nightmare it would be if we constantly had to consciously think of our breathing and all these little processes that are done automatically. But there does seem to be some capability of us to influence that in some way. And and even for a while, on some level, we've known this with yogis who can slow down their heart rate to where it's almost even barely detectable and slow your re- your breathing down and all these different autonomic functions. And now uh, what seems to be for the first time in recorded scientific history, we can consciously influence on some level that autonomic function. Yeah, and it was interesting. So I, because I just like to test things out on myself, I decided to try the Wim Hof breathing technique. And I can tell you, I only got to pass the first round because I kind of felt like my body was all over the place. So I could definitely see how training your body. So um, I'm going to link in the show notes to the Wim Hof breathing method. But basically, the first round is you're almost doing like a fast box breathing. That would be like the best way I could explain it. Like inhaling, exhaling, inhaling, exhaling. It's about the same time, but it was barely at a fast pace. And then all of a sudden, you're inhaling and you're holding it for a whole minute. Now, mind you, when you're doing this box breathing and you're you're breathing faster, it starts, you could feel your adrenaline kick in. Like I was getting warm myself and um, your heart rate's going up. So it's definitely kicking your body into doing something. And then you have to hold your breath for a minute. And I have to say, the first like 20, 30 seconds, I felt my whole body want to panic. Because it was like, oh, my goodness, I don't think I have enough breath. But then during his, as he walks you through this, he actually tells you to relax the internals of your body. Like, just bring everything in and relax. And the crazy thing was, once you started that, all of a sudden, that next, I'm going to say 20 seconds, because the last 10 seconds was really hard for me. But the next 20 seconds almost got easier. Um, and then they kind of wanted you to start it over again. I was like, I can't do this again. I'm like, I'm out. I'm round one. But it was interesting. Have you ever tried the the breathing method? Oh, for sure. I've done this um, for many years, actually, even before I was a personal trainer. That's when I had just discovered it. And you definitely feel a type of euphoria, that adrenaline rush when you're hyperventilating and you're breathing. You, I mean, technically, you're you're hyperventilating. And it's depleting all the carbon dioxide, which allows your body to saturate with oxygen. And that's part of where the euphoria comes in. Um, But this is another thing, like we're long-term, we don't know the implications of this. It feels cool. It can allow you to accomplish some pretty incredible things. It seems on the surface to be healthy, and, and I'm sure it is. But believe it or not, this is kind of a contentious thing for some of the health experts out there. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, buteco breathing 
there are some experts, and I'm not uh, as familiar with this type of breathing as I am with Wim Hof, but it's kind of um, an opposing type of breathing exercise where instead of hyperventilating and, and you know, increasing the amount of breaths that you're taking like you do in the Wim Hof method, this very much focuses on slowing down your breathing, trying to not hyperventilate and, and slow things down quite a bit. Um, and I know proponents of that type of breathing exercise say, look, we don't know if this hyperventilation, if this is bad, if you can sustain this long term, what are the long term implications of depleting your carbon dioxide like this? And so, you know, it, it's it's interesting. It's certainly worthy of more research. And it's almost hilarious that there's contention within like breathing exercise uh, type of health routines. You know, that's actually really funny that you bring that up because I that was something that I was uh, looking at as well. And, you know, I have to say, though, the one thing with the Wim Hof method is, you know, I know a lot of times we talk about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. And when you're in that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight, you're getting like this um, almost tunnel vision. And it was crazy watching the video. I I experienced it firsthand where I had, you know, I'm sitting in my office, there's stuff all around me. And within that first round of that box type breathing where you're really kind of revving your body up, my vision got super, super focused. And I remember as this is all happening, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is kind of wild. Like that was the first time I've actually, I think sometimes when you get in that fight or flight, you're not realizing what's happening you're just in that instance but when you're slowing down and being mindful about it you really start like i felt my heart racing i felt my body warming and yeah that whole that cone vision really hit in yeah it's it feels almost like a type of reset which you know some good meditation generally does but it really kind of feels like next level with the way that euphoria really kicks in from the breathing exercise and especially if you're adding the push-ups and the cold exposure on top of it and going beyond the breathing. Uh, it, it's really like a really strong cup of coffee. And, uh, but it is worthy of, of being careful, not only because we don't know the, the long-term implications, but, well, it, depending on how, like if you do ice baths, I, I've had a personal experience that I'm still, uh, you know, I still feel the effects of. So I, I'm a pretty extreme guy. I like to see how far I can push things. and. So I've regularly done ice baths and, and I got pretty comfortable with those and I'm wondering how I could take it a step further. So I'm doing some research and, and some people actually strap ice packs and things to their body. They even sell specific vests that are like cooling vests and you can wear them on your body. And, uh, I probably should have bought the professional gear, but instead what I did was I had, you know, those lunchbox sort of ice packs, mm -hmm. they're just like boxes of chemicals who knows what's in there um so i would generally fill my uh bathtub with those uh ice packs and and it works and so i actually physically strapped them to my body i guess they were leaking the chemicals leaked out and so i have burns still all over my back this was from years ago and so use caution with this sort of thing because um if you're going to do it do it with actual ice and not the ice packs yeah. And, you know, it, it's interesting. So let's actually dive into this cold exposure where we're actually submerging or showering with the cold air, because this is where I found a lot of and, you know, you're a little bit more. Well, you're a lot more familiar with this than I am. Um, 
I found it kind of like I wanted times. I wanted to know, okay, the ultimate goal was like 12 minutes and you could start off here. I wasn't necessarily finding that. Is that kind of how it goes or was I missing it? For Wim Hof in particular? Just for anybody, really. So it really depends. And the research is so mixed because you have water submersion, cold therapy, you have cold showers, you have cryotherapy even. And it also depends on the purpose. So you might have an athlete who is recovering from a sport, in which case it might be some kind of prolonged cold exposure. You might have someone who's just doing it for alertness and to lower inflammation in the morning. That might look like a five-minute cold shower. So it really depends, just like exercise depends. I, it's like, what's the best exercise? Well, maybe a 1,000-pound deadlift is the best exercise, but that could be for one very particular type of person. And so it, it, it really depends on the goal and, and why you're doing it and using caution and building up to it because you know ambitious people like myself might dive all in and get injured, and, and that's no fun. Uh, but caution is probably the most important thing. Ease into it, listen to your body, start low, work up from there, uh, you know, in a, in a reasonable progression. And I think that's a really, you know, so often do we just jump in because if someone would have told me it was five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, I probably would have like pushed myself to start there. Um, but that's actually, I like the fact that, you know, at first I was getting a little frustrated, like, well, where do I start? Where do I start? And so I ended up starting with a cold shower. Now, I'll kind of give you my experience for this, and um, you can jump in and share your experiences with this, too. And I kind of did go in a little blind. Um, so I just would take my normal shower. Now, I generally take a shower on, like, scorching hot. <laughs> um, I could take p wallpaper off walls, you know, that kind of temperature. And so I would do my normal shower and then I just over, I'd say over like seven minutes, I slowly turned the shower colder and colder until I was basically down at the bottom. Because at some point I was just like, yep, I'm done. And I noticed I hit that I'm done when that cold water hit like right at the base of your neck. Like as soon as that hit like with like that ice cold water, I was like, I'm done. And this was the first time I did it. And but I have to say over that day and this was after a really good workout. So I was in that kind of mindset and um, I had more energy. I felt more invigorated. So, of course, the next time I did it, I did it at night. And this is where I've learned if I'm going to put this into my, you know, regular kind of repertoire of healthy habits. I have to do it on days when I work out early and I take a shower early because when I did it at night, it actually disrupted my sleep. Um, I couldn't go to sleep. I was tossing and turning. And I'm usually the kind of person that if my head hits a pillow, I'm out. Definitely. And timing is so important with this sort of thing because there's a weird dichotomy with cold exposure and sleep because the body actually needs to cool itself down to sleep as best as it can. And for that reason, cold showers can help with sleep, but time is, timing is extremely important. A cold shower right before you hit the pillow, is, it might keep you awake a little bit. Um, so timing is important in many different ways, not only if you're looking to assist with your sleep, but if you want to assist with your recovery. 
So there are a lot of considerations that should be made because let's say you do a really hard workout and you want to cool yourself down with a cold shower. Well, what could be happening is blunting the hormetic response, meaning when you exercise, there is a type of adaptive response that takes place in the body. Well, you could be sending mixed signals to the body by dampening that response with a cold shower. So maybe if you want to do recovery cold shower, it's best to save that for the morning. Like you said, you want to keep yours in the morning. And even further in the morning, I, maybe you've heard this phrase, swallow a frog. I think it was Mark Twain who said swallow a frog is a great way to start the day, meaning as a type of euphemism, do something really difficult to start your day, and then the rest of what you do doesn't feel that difficult. And so if I have a job interview or some kind of performance, like on stage, something like that, uh, always as, as much as I can, one of the first things I'll do to start my day is a cold shower. And it's type of it's like pre-stressing myself because I know I'll be stressed later. So let me just get it out of the way, kick in that diver's reflex with like that. Um, that's a whole other topic we could get into. Um, but it really has a powerful effect on kind of chilling someone out. You know, I the fact that you just brought up how we stress, and that's one of the reasons why cold exposure has gotten so. You know, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is, is that the constant exposure to an extreme stress, which for a lot of people, that cold air can be fairly extreme. It actually helps build resiliency as long as your body can adapt to it. And I think that's the big thing. And this is where, you know, me personally, I would like to see a lot of the research go to because we know that. We, we've already seen in young males that there's these responses. We can kick up metabolisms. We can help reduce stress and pain. And, you know, we're seeing having control over the autonomic nervous system and stuff like that. I'd like to see it done in women because of our complex hormones. So we know all this great stuff is happening with the men. Is it the same when we're dealing with women at different levels of hormones? So we know when a woman is premenopausal or menopausal, their ability to handle stress becomes different. So something that might work on a 20-year-old female might not necessarily work the same on a 60-year-old female. And that's really where I'd like to see the studies go because if this is true, if we can really get our bodies to regulate stress and control our systems, this can be extremely powerful. Definitely. And that's a good point considering one's stress adaptation status, one's hormone status, which isn't you know necessarily the easiest thing to, to measure. You might need some kind of uh, Fitbit, I think, tracks those sorts of things now. Maybe your heart rate variability can give some kind of indication as to these types of things. Um, but even beyond gender, I, d I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen studies. I, I haven't, to be honest, looked at, at those types of studies between differences in gender. But speaking more generally, uh, we know that there is something called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is very much responsible for keeping everything in check in our body as far as our nervous system and our hormones go, uh, to be specific. And so sometimes we might think that we're doing ourselves a service by taking a cold shower when if in reality we've, we've had high stress, we've worked out really hard the previous day, the coffee didn't help, and then we take a cold shower and we could actually feel less energized and extremely foggy and fatigued. And I experienced this personally recently 
Uh, I, since we last spoke, I started my own podcast and me being the extreme person I am, I over prepped, I worked out too hard. I was overstressed for the episode. I took that cold shower and I did exactly that. And I was just not with it for that first episode. And so I can only imagine that I took a hit on my HPA axis. And that's something that people should definitely be uh, cautious of. Although I think most people would uh, probably not have to worry about that. Most people can barely stand the thought of a cold shower. But for those who are interested in the cold showers, uh, caution around your, your stress levels and hormones is definitely important. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a really good point you make there because I think sometimes we we're in this stress state and it's like, okay, well, if I stress myself out more, it'll help relax because that was actually kind of the method I was hearing a little bit when you're starting to watch like YouTube videos of non-experts doing this. And it's a really good point. Like if you're finding yourself really stressed, sometimes the best thing to do is give yourself that grace, that moment of relaxation and just not adding more stress on. So you know, that was a really good point that if you're under a lot of stress, maybe not stress your body out that day. Maybe wait until, you know, you're more back into feeling yourself, feeling re-energized and then implementing it because it doesn't have to be. I know everybody's like, oh, I'm going to do 30 days of ice baths. Well, if on day three you're not feeling it, skip day three and wait till day four or five when you're feeling a little bit better. Just like exercise, it's a type of physiological stress. I mean, if you're going to do the same type of exercise to the max every single day, eventually that's going to catch up. You're not going to see any results. You're never going to recover. Um, so it's very similar. It's just maybe not as easy to uh, to really understand it intuitively because it's not as common as something like squats or push-ups. And so we're still kind of figuring this out. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the fact that we're still figuring this out is kind of like proceed with caution and listen to your body. If you're feeling that this might not be helping, if you're noticing something, you know, I know it's supposed to improve mood, but let's say for you, it's not improving your mood, then it's probably not the right thing for you to do. And I think, you know, I know you, Mike, as a health coach, you know, we're really we're really about listening to our own bodies and doing what's right for you, because what might be right for you might not be right for somebody else and vice versa. Yeah, for sure. And uh, even Wim Hof himself says this. Uh, it's one of the things, if you take his course, uh, which he has a, a really cool course to help teach the full method. Um, but he says, if you're feeling sick, if you're really not feeling it, you know, that's probably not the time to push it because it's just going to stress you out further. And it's sometimes easy to forget that because especially when somebody builds momentum with their health goals, it's it's interesting as a health coach where on one hand you have people who are really struggling to catch up and and it's a real effort. And then sometimes those same people, on the other hand, they they build this momentum and they almost get addicted and and then they they really get in it. And it's uh it's pretty cool. But yeah, for sure, listen to the body. And that could be a whole other learning process on its own, learning to how to listen to the body. Yeah. And you you know what I found really interesting is when I started doing this research is how much of this is based historical and how much cold exposure was used for generations. Now, I have, I'm half Italian and half Norwegian, and my grandfather is actually from Norway. So, you know, it's interesting because he always could handle the cold much better than any of us. 
And it was interesting because when I was looking at but some of this, and I remember when I first had my first child, my grandfather used to tell me to leave my baby outside. And I was like, I'm not leaving my baby outside. Like, what is wrong with you? And um, he would tell me back in Norway, they would leave children's in their little carriages outside. And as I'm doing this research, it's reminding me what he said. And it was really about building the kid's immune system. So I think, too, when you come from a colder climate, you are more adapt to handle something than someone is from a warmer climate. You know, um, Mike, I know you go to Puerto Rico often. I go to Puerto Rico often. And it's interesting because I don't know if someone from Puerto Rico can do something that somebody from the Netherlands does and have the same results. What's kind of your thoughts on that? Cool question. Um, and, and when you said that, it made me think of, I, I saw a video just the other day of, it, maybe it was in Norway, where they were taking their babies and literally putting them in the snow uh, as a type of adaptive, or well, to hopefully achieve an adaptive response. And to, to answer the question, someone who is more uh, just genetically built for a warmer climate, can they adapt to this sort of thing? Would they have a tougher time? I'm sure on some level with the genetics alone, it would be, you know, you take the average person from Puerto Rico, they're not going to have a good time in the snow. Um, but at the same time, we know that one of the physiological results of prolonged cold exposure is the the transformation from white adipose tissue into brown adipose tissue. So white adipose tissue is the fat that just most people have, the visceral fat, this, the, the not too appealing looking type of fat. We all have it. We all have it on some level. But one thing that happens when you uh, expose yourself to the cold for a long period of time chronically is it converts to the brown adipose tissue, which is a more uh, mitochondrially dense type of tissue, which means more energy because the mitochondria is where that ATP, that, that energy production takes place. So by having that extra brown adipose tissue, not only do you have more energy, but that is the exact type of fat that you would need to equip yourself to better handle the cold. And and a cool fact that relates this back to the babies is that when babies are born, they have a higher level of that brown fat that allows them to be, you can sit them outside and it's okay that they're in the cold as long as they're watched, of course. Um, but it's pretty neat. The, the things that, like the physiological changes, the physical changes that can happen to the body from something as simple as maybe five minutes of cold showers every day. Yeah. And one of the things that I think we could do, too, if we're not ready to jump into the whole cold shower, cold ice bath plunge, is just get used to, especially if you live in the northern hemisphere, it's a little cooler out right now. Just getting outside, maybe not putting as many layers on as you normally would and spending more time outside. You know, I have a friend of mine, uh, Connor Moriarty. He comes on the podcast occasionally and he talks about nature and outdoors a lot. and his favorite line is, there's no such thing as bad weather, just poorly dressed people. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about health benefits and we're, we're looking at the cold, one of the biggest health benefits I think we often miss is just being out in nature, out in sunlight. So even if you want to start on this journey, you can start from somewhere as simply as just going outside when it's a little cooler out and maybe keep just your sweatshirt on. Or if you're comfortable or slightly uncomfortable, let's say, you know, just a long sleeve shirt or a t-shirt, just something to start adapting your body to that cooler weather. 
Yeah. And the sunlight aspect is so important. I know most people are aware, like, yeah, I get some sunlight, whatever. But I mean, there are so many complexities to the fact that we respond to the sun. Our bodies respond to the sun in a very particular way. And we're learning still every day the the way that our body responds to the sun. But on the note of, you know, experiencing a little bit of comfort, it's only temporary that that discomfort because eventually we will adapt and that level that was previously uncomfortable will become a new level of comfort and then we adapt to the next level of discomfort and and um, that's we are adaptive creatures. It's one of the beautiful things about being a human. We can acclimate quite easily to uncomfortable situations and that's what's kind of allowed us to survive as a species and this really taps into that primal instinct to get into that aspect of nature to experience those physiological challenges that we would, our ancestors would experience, whether it was cold or the, the challenges, the physical challenges that we now simulate with exercise. And I think we do need that, like really on a primal level as people. Yeah. And, you know, you raise a good point there when talking about exercise. I know so many people that I talk to about the cold exposure, they're like, yeah, and you could do cold exposure and it, it, same benefits as exercise. And I was like, well, wait a second here. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's necessarily the same benefit of exercise. I think it's another added benefit of exercise. But sometimes I think a lot of times we're attracted to the new and shiny and cold exposure for a lot of people is kind of new and shiny where, you know, like you were talking about pushups before people know about pushups. And, you know, I would kind of say I would start off what we know is good and then add in what can be helpful. What's your thoughts on that? I can definitely understand the temptation to be attracted to that type of argument that cold exposure is essentially the same as exercise because on many levels it does offer similar benefits. So you get cardiovascular benefits. It benefits your immune system. It helps with lymphatic flow. It helps with your uh, mood and feeling good. It does cause physiological changes, all of which are similar to exercise, but they each offer a specific thing. Like if you need a screwdriver, a wrench is not going to do the job. So if you're trying to make your body phys uh, physically stronger and build your muscle mass and strengthen your bones, well, you're probably going to want to do resistance training. If you're only trying to improve your cardiovascular system for some reason, maybe you're a runner, well, you're going to put more emphasis on aerobic activity. Now, if you're trying to specifically equip your body to better deal with the cold, or even if you're just trying to include some fun new activity as part of a well-rounded health routine with exercise, strength training, aerobic training, cold showers, sauna, whatever you want, um, it can be part of, it can be a fun component of a well-balanced routine. Yeah. And, you know, that's something we haven't talked about is saunas. And I know that's a whole nother, you know, it's basically the almost the exact opposite of cold exposure, right? It's heat exposure. So, you know, I know this episode really wasn't about it, but, you know, you brought it up. Let's just briefly dive into it. You want to tell us a little bit about the benefits of uh, saunas? Yeah, saunas are another thing that when I bring it up, some people are quick to dismiss it because it might seem unrealistic. It's like, well, I don't have a couple thousand dollars to put a sauna in my house. Um, but one of the cool things, about Amazon is that there are pretty cheap, like $100 to $200 uh, portable saunas that you can have. I'm looking at one right now that's here right by me where you can just set it up in your home. 
Uh, I like to say instead of Netflix and chill, Netflix and sauna, because you can literally sit there. It looks like a giant lunchbox. You have your head sticking out of there. And this is another thing that has been done for generations. It has many health benefits. Uh, it's something that can be fun and easy to fit into a routine. Uh, and it offers specific benefits. I know the, the most popular one talked about is uh, heat shock proteins. Joe Rogan talks about this a lot. And uh, the cool thing about heat shock proteins is that uh, just like the brown adipose tissue with cold that equips your body in a specific way to handle certain challenges. Well, those heat shock proteins equip the body to better handle stress, certain types of stress, especially heat stress. And so it's almost like a type of muscle in its own way that we can exercise with chronic exposure to heat. And um, eventually the heat that we feel now that's uncomfortable through, through practice in the sauna will not feel so hot once our body adapts. You know, and the funny thing is, so we're talking about, you know, the Netherlands and and the, um, the Scandinavian countries using the cold. Well, when you deal with Ayurveda, right, they deal with saunas pretty decently. So it's interesting. I think there is definitely those benefits that we see from the cold exposure and the heat exposure. And it's just interesting because I always like to look back to see where some of this information comes from. And we did it with you know, seeing the babies in the strollers out in the, uh, in the cooler weather. And, you know, you even think about as I don't know if you heard this when you were growing up, but I did as a kid from the 80s, like turn your shower cold. It was supposed to help your hair and your skin. And it's just interesting because when you start hearing this information and it's going from generation to generation, you start to kind of wonder, OK, it's obviously got something that it's kind of has a sticking point. And it's just interesting. I think a lot of what all of this is teaching, at least me, is that we need to step out of our comfort zones a little bit, get, get comfortable being slightly uncomfortable and just trying new things. Because I think when it comes to different things, you know, you can't know how something's going to work for you unless you try it. Yeah. And it's really, I actually don't see it as a, like a, an optional thing to, to learn to get comfortable with discomfort. Life is uncomfortable. I mean, it's just, that's how it is. Life is very uncomfortable. There's always challenges. And so at the very least, this is the sort of thing we have control over. So we might not have control over some sort of work stress that might present itself or a family illness. Like those things are very stressful and we can't always control those things, but we can control our bodies, like the behaviors that we engage in to allow our bodies to adapt to types of stresses. So that way, you know, I, I mean, I, I see it as a, you could make a case for it being a responsibility as a human to challenge yourself in some way so that you're prepared for the challenges that present themselves as you carry out through life. But I, I also, uh, you mentioned like the different cultures and, and these sorts of things, uh, the cold exposure and, and even saunas are ingrained in Finnish culture the, in, in Finland. And so this is extremely normal. It, it's just ingrained in the culture and uh, just like here in America, we have our own uh, normal things. It's it's pretty neat to think about the possibility of having such a healthy activity that strengthens the body being as just a, a normal, barely even thought about thing in society. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think this has been an excellent episode. And 
I think this is actually an excellent episode or um, point for you to kind of tell us a little bit about what you do. And if someone wants to work with you, how they can get in touch with you. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So again, my name is Mike Vera. I'm a board certified health coach. I'm the founder of Red Pill Health and Wellness LLC. Uh, You can find me at MikeVera.com. What I do is uh, I'm uh, definitely a a different kind of health coach. I don't really focus as much uh, in my messaging about the stuff that we all know about exercise. I talk a little bit about a diet exercise and all those sorts of things, but I, I definitely focus more heavily on influence and how it is all around us in the world and how being awake to the different types of influence can empower us as individuals so that we can prevent being influenced by others, but more importantly, to influence ourselves in a positive way and also to be aware of the influence that we have on others. Because even if we don't mean to influence people, they are still having some kind of influence in some way. So I think it's best to be positive as much as we can be. So again, if you want to check me out, my love program, I have all kinds of stuff at mikevira.com. That's Victor. Very cool. And Mike came on some previous podcast. He actually talked about its influence and how that affects our health. So I'll in that episode. This episode is in the show notes. And Mike, I just want to say thank you so much for this podcast again. Bye. 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 Bye.